In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' struggling offense before diving in to the listener mailbag. Going over everything from Tyrese Maxey to the head coach to lineup combinations and a whole lot more. If you'd like to send us a question to be read and addressed on a future mailbag episode, send an email to mailbag at sixersbeat.com. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Hey, how, how are you enjoying your four days off? Pretty good, man. You know, you uh, all you got to do is do one podcast over the next four days. You know, we were a little behind on our podcast too, so yeah. good time for us to catch up. I mean, we you really don't get like four days off in the middle of the season very often, ever. Um, certainly. I feel like- well, I feel like we get them once a year where maybe, where they maybe. where they have a weird one. Four yeah. is a lot. I'm not used to this kind of, but it's good. We get a chance to catch up on podcasts, on writing. There's a couple of practice days in here. Good for everyone involved, I think. It does give us a little bit of a chance to take a step back uh, and maybe, you know, I think when you come off of a performance like you did on Sunday night, there's naturally going to be a little bit of rose-colored glasses because holy shit that dude just played one of the 10 best games in my lifetime and i think i'm probably at least in terms of regular season games saying that pretty conservatively but we do still have an entire team to cover not just joel Embiid, and the rest of the team is maybe not playing up to par up to this point so i guess now that we have had what three days here to think about that game where's your mind at with this team just some general uncertainty, you know, it's not a, yeah, I mean, I think it's an extension of what we said on Monday's pod is that, man, Embiid was incredible, but man, why did he have to be so incredible to win that game by that amount of points? And uh, for me, I think the the biggest concern in the short term, because a, a lot of the issues right now are offensively. And I do think James Harden can fix a decent amount of them when he comes back. The biggest issue right now is their general offense, how much they're relying on and beat isolations, their bench, and just how they're unable to create a good shot with that uh, with that bench unit. So those are kind of the those are the areas. And now I'm also a little bit skeptical too. That the defense has been so much better, and they deserve a lot of credit for playing harder. The opponents also can't make a three right now, so that's going to normalize at some point. Um, so that that's where I am. Like it's I, look, you don't have to apologize for winning a game, but it also does not feel like a replicable formula. What they just did, can't hear you. Yeah, no, I'm I'm here. I just had a one of my four million tabs just started completely blasting music and it completely threw me off guard. Uh, I do not entirely know what happened there. I don't have, I thought I had everything muted. Pro tip, if you're podcasting, mute all of your Firefox or Chrome tabs. Otherwise you get completely startled. I think you said something about basketball before that happened, but I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think Harden will fix some of that. He will give some of that back on defense. I don't think it's complete coincidence that there a defensive turnaround has happened with James Harden out of the lineup. It's also happened when Joel Embiid has been giving better effort and been in better shape to give that effort so that it'll be great to see Harden back with a more 
committed, a more in shape, a more ready to contribute, ready to dominate Joel Embiid. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it is... And, and you mentioned getting more production from the bench unit. Really what you mean is any lineup that doesn't include Joel Embiid. Because like mm-hmm. you said the other podcast, everyone's sort of playing like a bench player right now. Uh, and certainly in that game against Utah. The more we get removed, the more I am concerned about the offense and how it's going to survive here over the next 10 to 14 games or however long you need until James Harden comes back. You know, I do think there has to be some regression and this is something we'll do a mailbag podcast here in a few minutes, but there's got to be some regression back to the mean for Tyrese Maxey. I know he struggled running the offense. I know he struggled, quite frankly, at times playing alongside and off of Joel Embiid. But at some point, he's going to start making shots again. You could say yeah. that for a lot of the Sixers players right now. They're not running sort of like crisp offense and playing off of each other. That's all true. But they can go one-on-one and create drive and kick situations and still shoot the ball better than they're currently shooting. So I think they're going to get better naturally offensively. I think they're probably going to drop a little bit defensively. You know, like we mentioned, they were the number one ranked defense in the league over the previous week. A lot of that comes down to they are executing better, they're communicating better, they're giving better effort. But some of it did come down to the fact that the other team shot sub 30% from three. So I think everything is going to normalize a little bit. It is still just, I expected this team, I didn't expect them to be this reliant on James Harden. And I'm a little bit worried about that. I, I think they'll get better. I'm just not sure how much. I'm not sure how much. Yeah, I mean, when you look at kind of the four factors they over these last couple games the only thing they're really doing well offensively is getting to the free throw line well and that's all they for have, the Joel Embiid they have Joel Embiid yeah so that's, I, I think uh, when I looked it up he had made like 48 percent of their made free throws over the last week or something like that Joe, Joe's isos are they're they're interesting and in that I don't know if they're the right thing for this team right now like watching him rein in all of those shots I just wrote about for a for a piece that's coming out of the athletic, um, that the hang dribble that he has right now is just like it's an unguardable thing when he's making that jump shot because the defender has to do one of two things. It's he has that lefty hang dribble and he gets the footwork just right where it's one of two things. He either gets into the one two mid range pull up jump shot or that one two that second step is just a blow by to uh, yeah. to left. It's unbelievable to watch and I mean you know I don't even have to get technical like. Everybody listening, watch the uh, the Hawks and Jazz games. It's just awesome to watch when they're going in. It's not just that shot. He's making spinning jump shots, turnarounds over his left shoulder. Fade away turnaround threes that you expect to go in, and so did he. Yeah. All of that stuff is good, but I just wonder, like, man, are they too reliant on that right now? It's Is there any other source of offense? Now, we probably would remember some of the other sources of offense if, like, Tyrese Maxey could make... Anything. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. And Maxi to to the Sixers credit, at the end of the Hawks game, Maxi and Embiid got it going in the pick and roll a little bit where they started to get some easy looks for Joel, diving to the rim, getting easy stuff. But it just feels like, man, there's a lot of standing around and there's a lot of pressure on this guy. I don't know, to shoot he's shooting fifty seven percent right now yeah. on long Mid-range, twos. Yep. Or yeah, on all all mid range. No, I think I think you might have said it right. I think I think it is on long twos. Yeah, it's 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 less on the the short twos, which is weird. 
it is weird, but that, I think Joel's been like that for a while now. He'd rather shoot a, a 16-footer than a 12-footer. What, whatever. He's not going to shoot 57% moving forward. Like, I, I think there's a chance he could have a really great year where maybe his touch is just going to be good for a couple months here. But a really good year is 50%. 50. Yeah, he goes down to 50. So, uh, and look, he's got some regression coming the other way, too. Like, he's going to make more threes at some point. That's I'm I'm pretty convinced he's not a 24% three-point shooter that's going to get a little bit better he is but, shooting 36.7 percent uh, on shots from three feet to 10 feet and 57.1 percent on shots from 16 feet to the three-point line yeah look it, it's outrageous it's fun to watch i just the, the lack of movement it just seems really hard or easy to guard you know it's like yeah, yeah it fine he's hard to guard but the offense is not hard to guard there there's three and a half probably four guys who are not working at all. And I just wonder, like, when you have this defense playing at this high of a level, I I don't think an offense that is that stagnant is going to stop teams like that for for such a long period. And they deserve credit. But, yeah, it, it just generally doesn't feel that sustainable. But, look, they have a, a, a few days here, a bunch of days, as we said, to uh, to figure this out. So, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, look, we, we sat here. You know, in their game against the fourth quarter against the Knicks, I remember complaining about it. The game at Atlanta, I remember complaining about their ball movement. It's not like it got all that much better against the Hawks and the Jazz. It's just Embiid made enough shots and your defense was really good. They will have to improve. And it is, I, I, I still do look at it as a positive that Maxi gets this much time here over the next three weeks to run the offense and develop a little more chemistry with Embiid. Uh, because I would, like you, I would like to see them Move the ball a whole lot more. Uh, get other players involved. It, it is great to get a 59 spot from Joel, but you should not be relying upon that. Um, what, one take on their their backup units. I Because, I, again, I don't particularly know what to do with them right now because the guard play is so bad. Korkmaz being out. Who would have thought that Korkmaz being out is actually He had a good half, issue? too, before he got injured. He, he had a good half. half. You got to give him a look. I'm not going to take any Cork slander here. I'm, no, we're not going to do that. But... Uh, he had a good half, and Cork, for all his faults, can create a shot in the pick and roll once in a while. He he can create something. Now, will it be a a floater that probably doesn't go in? Yeah, <laughs> or an unnecessary behind the back pass. But he's look that is something that he has gotten better at. Not to uh, be a consistent NBA rotation player, but his his craft in the pick and roll has gotten better. I don't know what to do with their guards right now yeah. because Milton has been so bad. And Melton is like, that's not his strength is, is by the way, the Rich saying Milton has been so bad. That is a very cleaned up version of what he says on press row. It's a much more diplomatic version of what you were saying there on Sunday. Oh, come on, man. Why, why are you blowing up my spot for it? That's all right. I'm gonna start saying the stuff you say on press row. Yeah. Uh, no, that's funny. Uh, so basically, the one the one thing we we talked about the backup centers. I'm not here to bury uh, B-ball Paul again. I almost think Trez has to play with this group because you need scoring from that that group. And we talked about Reed's struggles when he gets the ball at the top of the key. Trez isn't unbelievable at that, but he's okay at it, and he can create a shot out of nothing sometimes. I, Reed to me seems like the guy you would want on the kitchen sink lineups in the playoffs, right? Where you have Harden, Maxi, Harris, you have that group out there. Those guys do all the scoring, and you want Reed to switch and play defense. 
when you're limited and can't score, I, I almost think Trez has to play. And it's not even Reed's fault almost. It's just because the guards are are struggling so much. So it's part that's, Reed's fault. That's though, something. Too. Yeah. He was he was real bad. He was, he was bad, bad. But but again, I he's I not got he's on not and it, it, those aren't lineups where he's probably gonna be good. He just can't yeah, be as bad as he was. And, and the problem is there's no lineup for him to be good right now, just with, with how these other guys are playing. So I think I would rather go offense with uh with that group. But yeah, I mean I I don't know how they're going to manufacture points. Like it's going to have to you be ready for that that shake uh, Trez pick and roll. Yeah, if he gets the ball to Trez, yeah. I don't know, man. I, they, they no, I'm not him. saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying there aren't many great options. All right, let's uh, because I feel like I I I feel like we get pretty down if we just talk about the offense here for 45 minutes. So let's get into the mailbag. We'll start this off with a familiar tune. Go to one of the greatest hits. This one from Brian. Exactly what sort of failure would the Sixers need to see to warrant firing Doc Rivers? I told you I it was a familiar you, hit. I thought you you just said it was going to be positive. What are you talking about? It was going to be positive. I don't know. Do you have a reason for selecting this one? Like, do you have anything new to offer on this? No. No. But whenever you ask for mailbag questions, this is what you get. This is what you get. All right, here. Here, we'll answer it real quickly, and then we'll move on. You, what has to happen is one of your two or both your two stars have to be like, this isn't working. We need to change. That's how you get an in-season firing. Or if they're like 12 and 22, something like that. It's not going to be like, oh my God, they've lost two games. And they're now seven and nine. Like if, if you're, I, if you're waiting for something imminent. Look, I, I, I didn't like, he said something along the lines that the game ended perfectly against the jazz. And I was like, yeah. I was asking about their offense and I was like, well, no, the, the game ended perfectly for one guy. Your your yeah. offense was really kind of stagnant and bad. Wh- whatever. That doesn't matter. Look, best defense in the league over the past six games by a lot. I get the opponent three-point shooting has been terrible, but they're trying. I don't know. It's Yeah, it would take that. And I'm going to continue to be unpopular by saying that, you know, while he certainly doesn't get everything close to right, I see him as much bigger problem in the playoffs and – Charles Bassey's six and eight while the Spurs loses minutes by a million is not going to change my mind. <laughs> the same thing for Isaiah Joe's three points per game for the Thunder. Just I don't care about that. Um, and look, I, I'll be honest. I thought the Hawks game, the loss last week, it was a classic game where I don't think you needed to overreact to that. Like they didn't shoot well. Their offense was shitty, but it was shitty for an obvious reason. And, you know, Doc deserves some blame for that. Like we're, we're going to, bring him into the rest of the team. Um, but you lost to a good team on the road. The Sixers went three and one last week against teams with good records. So I don't know. That's, it's what you said. The one of the stars is going to have to get sick of, of playing for doc. And, uh, I don't know. Does Joel look sick of playing for doc right now? I, it, it certainly, I'm not saying like doc inspired him to score a billion points last week. Like it was like, <laughs> it was like this one's for doc. No, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think it was like that. But I certainly don't think it was bothering him, the play calls that Doc was making. Yeah, just run the, the ISO to him again. It wasn't getting in his way. I do think, look, if there is a world where they start off like 5-11, and 11, maybe, yeah. maybe. But Joel won him a couple games here. I think there's more resistance to in-season coaching changes than maybe fans want there to be. I think that's a last-ditch resort. And you get to the last ditch if you the season is about to slip away. Or if your stars are about to mutiny, 
and I don't think we're at either two locations yet. Uh, they're seven and seven. They're three games back from the, th- the one seed in the East. The season has not slipped away. I mean, let's say they're like the four seed. Do you think if they get the four seed for, let's say, the whole second half of the year, they're just they're the four seed. They're like three games behind three, three games up on five the whole time. Do you think the whole second half of this year is going to be fire this guy? Yes. I don't think the fans. I don't think the fans are going to stop asking about this until it happens. Oh my god! I don't think it's going to happen until the off season. It's going to be a long. <laughs> it's going to be. A long, I mean, look. Eventually, we're just going to ignore these questions. Uh, not because it's not a valid question, not because I don't understand that there's a lot of people here who want to see it happen and believe it should happen. It's just, it gets very repetitive for sure. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I just, look, I think if, if they were I'm to with fire you. Him, my concern should have, it should have happened in the, off, the playoffs. It should have happened in the off season if they were going to fire him too. Yeah, I don't, it's I like, I don't think they're going, I don't think, I don't think they want to right now. In in season coaching changes, we're we're just seeing one. You know, I don't know how far Brooklyn is up the up the road, a hundred miles up the road, eighty miles up the road. I don't, I don't know how far it is. Maybe Bontemps can tell us. He drives it all the time. But like, do you think Jock Vaughn is the Nets are completely working? I mean, they just lost to the Lakers and they lost to the Kings by a billion. I don't know. Speaking of the Nets, did you see the Ben piece today? I did. I uh. Have, have we talked about him that much? Almost none. Almost none. Yeah. I mean, there was I, just real quick for people who, who haven't heard about it. You know, it was, it was basically like the coaching staff and players have been concerned about his availability and level of play. And then there was a players only meeting, which I guess I missed. I think that was more public knowledge, but apparently Markeith Morris kind of, kind of called him out and said he needed to succeed. And, that he quote has to respond when he deals with adversity on the court unquote or, or uh, final quote there. Yeah. It's uh man, it's a tough situation. Like in that, that Kings game, everybody noted he played better. Did you see what his final line was? It was like 10 and six. And by the way, I, I watched most of that game t- until it got uncompetitive. It wasn't his fault that they lost that game. They lost the game when the starters were playing and, Kevin Herter and Terrence Davis made a bunch of threes, but like his best game, it was his first double digit point game in 500 days. It didn't affect it positively in any, uh, in any way whatsoever. And I, I, I guess, you know, with, with him coming to Philly pretty soon, and I mean, you know, the, we've, the Kings are playing like marginally, they're playing good basketball for the Kings, but they're not, they're fun like, to watch, they're not, a but they're not a game buzzer. Yeah. But we, we've kind of talked about this. I think, next week when he comes back it could be pretty brutal and and fair enough like i know what he did last year i was there but uh yeah i think it could be pretty brutal is my general point yeah no i mean if he plays if he's on the bench if he's anywhere near the building i think it could be i'm talking i'm talking about him playing more than on the bench we did the bench thing last year that'll be brutal but you know, he'll just. I don't think fans have moved on since last year, though. No, no, and and fair enough. I I know what happened to him, but I don't know. It, we we talk about this a lot off camera. Sometimes I see local media people, or you know, Sixers Twitter or something like that. Not not, not really Sixers Twitter, kind of local media people. They kind of laugh at Simmons and the yeah. viral clips of the air balls, and that's look, that's cool. I again, I'm not trying to police anybody here, but I, I don't know. I can tell that some of them. I, 
maybe even a good bit of them, they're not watching these full games. You know, and it's like with how cocky Ben was and how dismissive he was of us at times, which I think you correctly pointed out off camera. See, I'm going to say what you say on press row now. Probably has something to do with some level of... Hold on. on. If we're going to do this, we've got to be interested in full accuracy. This was at the practice facility, not on press row. Okay. Back to... uh, (laughs) Fair enough. Some level of insecurity, which I think is fair. But I I just, you know, and I I know you generally feel the same way. I can't help but feel for him watching these games. No. And like you said... like brutal to watch. I do think a lot of his aloofness and, you know, his sort of being combative comes from, I think there's some insecurity there. And I've always sort of felt that about his game. And I think we've certainly seen that play out here over the last couple of years. And I'm certainly at the point where I feel bad for him. And I don't think anybody listening to this podcast wants to hear that. Dude. Because I think there's you, a l- you just got to watch these games. That's what I would say to them though. I, yeah. I, I agree. Like based on his actions last year, I wouldn't feel bad for him, but man, just watch the games. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I I get that there's a lot of people that are really angry at him. Uh, and the anger, I think, is mostly justifiable. Absolutely. You know, he, he didn't address his deficiencies. In fact, he ignored them for far too long. He was aloof. He was combative. Um, and, he, and he worked his way out of town. His lack of development really impacted the team's championship equity in a lot of ways. I get all that. Uh, and I don't really disagree with that at all. He's just, he's not very sympathetic. And for reasons that I think are quite honestly, mostly self-inflicted, you know, but despite what I think are some justifiable reasons for resentment towards him, I just think it's sort of time to move on. You know, I do think he's going through some stuff, both physically with, you know, the back and the knee injuries that are sapping away some of the athleticism that made him him such a good defender. And clearly he's going through a lot mentally. I can be empathetic towards what he's going through, even if a lot of the mistakes, even if, if a lot of the reason he's in this spot are because of mistakes that he made himself. You know, he's become so much of a shy, a sideshow with his every failure being dissected and amplified that at this point, I, I do honestly feel a little bit bad for him and I don't really get much enjoyment celebrating his failures. And again, his tenure in Philly didn't work out and he's blamed for a lot of it impact the team's title chances in a big way. And I get all that, but at least for me, it's just time to move on. I, even if it isn't, I I just think, I mean, this guy is a shell of where he was a few years ago. Like he won't look at the rim at all. Physically and mentally, he's a shell. He's horrified to shoot free throws. The mental part you just said, he's not nearly the same defensive player, which agreed with you. Like he's dealing with both knee and back injuries. And that's, clearly affecting the type of athlete he is. I mean, God, the best example, this was earlier in the season. This was close to a month ago. But my God, two years ago, he just shut down Luka Doncic in yep. in that game when we were at Wells Fargo Center when the media were the only people allowed. So we had those awesome seats, uh, center court, like 20 rows up. I mean, he shut Luka down in a way you never see. Yeah. I mean, Luka just calling him up for pick and rolls, roasting him. Anyway, my, my general point is, man, I... I find the thing really tough to watch. And, you know, after us talking about him not getting better for his whole career, fair, oh, man, this just, it feels like something different. And that's part of what I mean why it's going to get ugly because I, oh, 
If you have been sitting here waiting to boo Ben, you will have plenty of chances to do so if he plays, because he is probably going, like you said, he's probably going to look like a shell of his former self. It's really bad. And even if you were the biggest Ben hater in the world, you would sit here and say, all right, but like he was a legitimately great defensive player. He would at least push the pace and attack the rim when he had a, a chance to. He does like none of that now, at least not at the level he used to. And when you oh take, God. if you take, let's say 20% of his athleticism away because of injuries, and if you take 100% of his ability to attack the rim because he's, he's scared of the free throw, then you just, you, I mean, he looks like a really bad player right now. And it's not what he was two, three years ago when you thought he was a core piece. It's, I, I, I just, I, I'd wrap it up by saying, I just think it's time to move on. I, and again, just, Ben was quite frankly, a jackass to us, but I just think it's time to move on. I'm just getting people ready though. It, it is really rough to watch. So if he does play here next week and we'll see if he does, he's dealing with injuries and whatever, maybe, maybe he doesn't play for whatever reason here. Uh, it's 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 really hard to watch. Okay, that's all right, that's so all we, I'm saying. We've now gone from talking about the Sixers' offense to questions about the head coach to talking about Ben Simmons. Let's see if we can liven this podcast up a little bit with something marginally. Mm, I'm looking at our questions. You don't normally get po- or mailbag questions about positive topics, so maybe maybe that's not going to happen. Did you, right. on, on a funny note about the net, Nets real quick, did you see KD? He said, look at our starting lineup. It stinks, basically. And yeah, he was like, yeah. and Ben's not even in that starting lineup. He was like, it's no disrespect, but what are you expecting from that group? That's uh, a little bit of disrespect. I that's a, okay. Yeah, it's a, a good amount of disrespect. If people were like, hey, how come you, you're not getting more <laughs> podcast downloads? Hey, no disrespect intended, but look who I'm podcasting with. I think you'd probably take a little bit of a... Disrespect there. Yeah. I think KD, he's obviously he's way too online. He is, I'm sorry, he makes me laugh so hard sometimes when he just, I mean, God, he just says some of the funniest blunt stuff you've ever seen. Okay. All right. This one from Nats Basketball Stats. With the Sixers coming up the fifth in defensive rating in the absence of Harden, but with the offense looking completely lost, how do you balance that yin and yang? Is there hope to be good on both sides of the floor with Maxi and Harden out there together? I mean, we don't really have an answer on that yet. Uh, I, I would say that being good on defense with Maxi and Harden, I'm pretty skeptical of. You know, I, I it's weird to say with the offense tanking, but I, I still think the defense is probably the bigger issue when you have those two. It's just just sending those two guys back in transition defense. It's just like there's yeah. no resistance, even if they're standing there. It doesn't yeah. really matter. And having, like, like they have Matisse in there right now in Harden's place. That is a massive upgrade on yeah. defense for all of Matisse's faults. Sure, they foul too much, whatever. Um, so, so I'm worried about that. I, to me, it's still going to have to boil down to like top five offense, and you got to be near the top ten in defense. I guess to to answer the the question, Joel's going to have to play defense like he did over. I, I don't even know if it's over the. No, I mean his defense has been really good for probably like a week and a half now, but especially even, that even Utah from game. before before the flu, he was starting to ramp it up defensively. Yeah, the Utah game especially though, where you know you just saw, uh, you know, I don't think we even touched on this on the last pod. Like that was like 2017, 18 yeah. shit. He was flying around. Yeah, and that's 
That's what I think your answer is. Two, two-way dominance from Embiid. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager and i think i think you've got to split up because i mean i, I think this question touched on a, a key part of the concern it is that maxi and harden uh pairing on the perimeter, you know, it, can they be good defensively? I guess that sort of defines on or, or depends on what your definition of good is. I think they can be top 10 defensively. Mike, well, coming into this yeah. season, I certainly thought they could be top 10 defensively. I think I had them well, at sixth. Well, they're top five right now. So it well, seems like your prediction was correct. Sure. But when Harding comes back, I think we both expect that to be a little tougher to maintain. The concern uh, to me was always more matchup dependent. Uh, and that I still have a very big concern in the playoffs. I think in the regular season, they can get to top 10 defense too. Yeah. And this is like where I'm not going to be all negative about this. It, to me, their biggest issue defensively, when I look at their three units, because if Embiid's going to play like this, then what? That's 34 to 36 minutes a game where yeah. you should be good. I, I know and that's that's part of why the, the start of the season was so discouraging or at least so confusing. It's just because Embiid wasn't anywhere near. And if, if Embiid's not cleaning up, you know, putting out every fire, then you have some real issues. You know, what, what should... Before I get to the point I was going to make, what um like what what do you think the backup unit with Embiid and Maxi should be? What's the ideal? I think I think I you want George on there for shooting. I think you want as much shooting as you can to space th- the floor around. Embiid. I think I want I want Melton too. Yeah, I feel like Melton's got, he's got to play like everything that's he- not the starting lineup, the start of the third, and maybe the closing lineup, depending on how the game's going. He should be in there pretty much the rest of the game. I agree. Every lineup, regardless of of who's leading it. Uh, so we got Melton, we got George. This is where I think coming into the year, I would have said House. I'd, House I'd, has been. Yeah. Um, I'd wonder about putting Thibel there, honestly, and just just seeing how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I don't I don't love pairing Thibel and Embiid, but House has been so disappointing that it might be. It might be, but I think I think George and uh, and Melton are definites. Well, depending, I just, like maybe if there's a bad matchup where like Melton and Maxi don't work together, 
because they're signed. To me, I think you but, have to look at it as a two-way street, though, right? Because you have George and Maxi. Okay, so that's two bad defenders you're going to have on the floor. Joel, amazing defender if he's locked in. Melton, very good defender. I don't know. I think I think that's the way you kind of got to split it. I, I would, in a perfect world, have House there because you think he could shoot, he could guard, all of those things. But I think Matisse is a better defender than him by a yeah. decent bit, when, especially when he's got it ramped up. I mean, Matisse foul. He, look, it's not always consistent. He's going to foul the crap out of people some days, and he's going to take himself out of the game. But he also has the chance to kind of get four steals and validate his purpose that yeah. way. No, we just saw it. We just saw it. But anyway, my bigger concern is how do you get stops when Harden is by himself on the floor? Well, that, do do it? that's where it's got to be that completely switchable group as, as much as you can put them out there. And that's probably what Melton house Harris next to Reed. Harden and Reed. I want to say Reed. I still want to say Reed. He's been I so bad. Well, look, I mean, Harden, but I think in that group, he's the right fit. Yeah. For, for switching yeah. everything. Yeah. And I think you've so got to get I'm not, I'm not too down on Reed, but you just, he's got to play with the right group too. It's it's almost funny the the group that guards really well, like the, the team that has the defense, which I'm assuming they have right now. That's like, that's the Harrell group. It's because we thought going into the year, it's like, Oh, Harden and, and Harrell. What, what a great pick and roll combo. Now I've watched enough of this to the point where I almost want to mix and match the skill sets. So you can kind of overlap with offense when there's defense and defense when there's offense. Yeah. That's how I view it. There's basically there's less Paul Reed delay action when Harden is. Uh, <laughs> there should is, be no Paul Reed delay action. Is handling the ball. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, this one from Jeffrey. Thoughts on playing Thibel and Tucker together? It seems like you're playing three on five on offense. Well, I think that's fair, Jeffrey. I think that's that's a fair summation. But Derek, did you look up the early stats for Matisse and Tucker playing together? I was just doing that right now. Should have done that coming in the pod. I did not. No, I did not. Let me tell you because I did it. Plus 22.4 overall, up to 200 possessions. 200 uh, possessions, all right. Yeah, 122.4. I a lot of that's with Embiid on the floor. Uh, it's only about half, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So it's it's 122 offensive rating, which is great. Thank you, small ball and Joel. And a 100 defensive rating where they're elite at literally everything except fouling, which is fair because Matisse is playing. But they're also forcing a shit ton of turnovers. Because Matisse is playing. Um, so I, I agree with the question. I, I do think you're playing three on five on offense. And I do think that's part of the reason the, uh, you know, the slow isolation with Joel against the world. That's why you're seeing a lot of that. Because again, you have two guys who really can't do a ton. Um, but it's working right now. So that it's kind of like the definition of it ain't broke. Don't fix it. And, I would also say another reason they're probably doing that is that you need Melton to be a guard on the backup units right now. Yeah. I agree that you're playing three on five right now, but the three at least are your best three. I know two of them are not really holding up their end of the bargain, but they are your best three, and you should be able to beat teams with those three. If you play Matisse on the backup unit, then you might be playing two on five with the way some of these guys are playing right now. Um, 48 possessions of Tucker and Matisse without Embiid. They have a 120.8 offensive rating. A lot of that was small ball with James Harden. Negative 16.9 net rating because their defense has been atrocious, which uh, tracks with those couple of games there 
right before James Harden went out of the lineup when they were playing a lot of small ball, running up the score, but getting destroyed on defense. So that makes sense. I do think over time, pairing those two with Harden could, the, the lack of shooting, I would have my concerns. But I, I mean, PDA's just got to make quarter threes, though. That's the, He is, but they're so low volume. I know. Well, they're especially low volume, though, when Harden is not playing. Because Embiid is not as good, and Maxi is clearly not as good at getting him looks. And yeah. that yeah. that qualifies for corner threes, but it's, it's also like Harden and Tucker run those bullshit step-up screens where he gets them into space and they run those four-on-threes. None of that is available to them right now. So PJ is just doing cardio and yelling at Maxi <laughs> for bad switches. <laughs> I like how you, 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 you define, you, you classify PJ playing basketball as PJ doing cardio. I like that. That's what he's doing. Yeah, I like that. Where are we? And, and the other thing with, with the bench, the, the issue with the bench, as we said, is that they can't score right now. They, the guards can't get them into their offense. So neither of those guys are going to help in that regard. So I like long term, I'm with you on the question. But but for now, that's the least of their issues. Their starting lineup is killing. Yeah. Yep. All right. Last one here. And then we will let you go. This one from Ryan. Do you think Maxi's current struggles are a product of increased attention from defenses, bad, bad shot selection, or just luck? Hmm. So maybe, I mean, again, whenever it's these questions, it's always a little bit of the, of the three. I, I would say increased attention, I probably see that one the least. I guess it's tough when you play the Hawks, though, and you play them two games, and DeJounte Murray guards you the entire game yeah. when... If Harden was there, it would have been somebody else. I don't know who it would have been. It probably wouldn't have been Trey Young. They probably would have went like, who do you think, like Hunter against him? They would have stuck uh, Trey. Maybe on put the... Hunter on on James on Harden. Yeah. Okay. That's maybe what they would have done. And they stick Trey on the cardio man. <laughs> yes. But uh, you know, I don't know. He killed or uh, Maxi was awesome early this season when he was on his own. He killed at times last year when he had. I mean. Was that catching teams by surprise a little bit, you know, in some of those games when Embiid wasn't there? Did they not have the scouting report ready? I, I don't know. felt like he had a lot of attention in those games is my point. Bad shot selection is a big one. And he has bumped his threes up. Good. But nah, still not enough for my taste. But to me, it's more on his drives. Have you yeah. seen, I, I was looking at uh, Clean the Glass today. He's shooting 35% on those short mid-rangers, which is over one-fifth of his shots. Yeah. And that tracks with what I'm seeing, man. A lot of off-balance drives and kind of no-hope layups. I think he's It's almost like he's trying to catch, catch people off, off guard, almost, on some of those drives. You know what I would like him to see do once? Just, let's, just see what it looks like. Nash under the rim. Just dribble the ball under the rim. Look, if, if if you have a layup, take it. If you have the angle, which you do frequently, take it. But, you know, once in a while, you don't have to shoot it when you're on that drive. You could just you could just burrow under the rim and maybe pass it out to somebody. And, those, and if you have the wherewithal to do that, I think your passing reads get easier. Like, it's yeah. just, just staring at who's ball watching and finding three-point shooters. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 he's got to do something different on his drives, though. It's like you said, he's... Uh, trying to catch him by surprise. It's like a predetermined read almost where he's like, I don't know. So that, that has to improve for sure. I think he's, he's definitely in general, just overthinking a lot of stuff right now. Yeah, Uh, I think that probably started with the trying to balance being a, um, you know, playmaker and a shot creator. 
And now then you throw in a shooting slump and it's, I think he's just over. I think the game has become unnecessarily complicated for him. Uh, And I think whether that is getting back to playing with Harden and playing his more natural role, you you need him to get back on track before then. He has one game where he comes out and he shoots five for seven from three. We could see a different maxi. I think he's just overthinking everything right now. I don't think it's too much that he has too much attention being placed on him because he's succeeded in those roles before he's been the only or the main option in lineups at times and found success. I think he'll, he'll find his way back. I don't there. I still do concern myself with his playmaking and his passing and growing into a lead ball handler, because I think down the road in a couple of years, that is going to be how he can be the most impactful but I think his scoring is going to find its way back this year. Agreed. Yeah. And and like you said, some of it to to the third point, some of it's just luck. Some of it is just, he's not making shots right now. You know, that's going to even out. He shot great in the beginning of the year. He shot terrible over the past couple of weeks. Perhaps that second part is due to fatigue as we've mentioned before, but I imagine that'll even out. He does not strike me as a guy who's going to be tired for a long stretch. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. He'll get tired for a little bit. He's, playing a ton is he still leading the league in in minutes or close to it or whatever he was before this layoff mm. yeah okay well look he's got a little bit of an excuse there in my opinion but yeah, yeah. he's i i just think his with the playmaking and the the weird drive something just got into his head a little bit where he's he's not seeing the floor as well he's like in a i don't know if you you played madden like i don't know like 12, 13 years ago when they had the the passing vision, the, the cone. Sure, like, yep, yep. You know, Pey- Peyton Manning could see the whole field, but it, which I think they made, they made to kind of screw over the people who would just play with Vic all the time and running was easy. <laughs> and so they gave Vic like the narrowest passing cone sure. in the world. And by the way, I turned that shit off in five seconds. We're, we're playing with Vic any day of the week. I, come on, I'm not playing with Peyton Manning. Get out of here. Uh, but yeah, his... Maxi's passing cone right now is is not. Yeah, it's pretty. If Harden if Harden's is Harden's the whole floor, he's his is na- his is narrow and it's probably like shaking a little bit too. So it's not a it's not the greatest. That's all right. I, I think it'll get better. At least I mean, it might not get the Harden's level, but I think it'll get better than this. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, we obviously coming up here. We have what do we have? Milwaukee on Friday, and then Minnesota. What? Minnesota on Saturday, and then that's on Tuesday. Is that the schedule? Yeah. Minnesota, man. Embiid and Towns on the same team. Or, uh, sorry, Gobert and Towns on the same team for, for Embiid. I was going to say, did something happen? Did I miss something? No, 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 you didn't. It'll, be- I look, the, you said coming in, that's an interesting team. You didn't say good team. That is an interesting team because they are so unorthodox. It will be interesting to see how they play together, how the Sixers match up with them what the defensive assignments are. You put the uh, marathon man on Gobert, you would assume, and let Embiid <laughs> defend Towns. But you don't really want Embiid guarding Towns because you don't want him dragged out at the three-point line. Um, so maybe you switch that up. They could go either way. Go either way. That's a great note to end on, the marathon man. Let's, let's wrap it up. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.